Hello all, and welcome to the latest episode of the Horror Countdown Podcast. I'm your host, Don and Ellie, and with me is one of the hosts of the Podlonia Podcast. I have Sunny. Hi. Hi, welcome aboard. So, um, as you probably have gathered from that uh, intro, um, tonight we are going to be discussing the solo career of director Mark Polonia. So, uh, I'm guessing you guys are the authorities on the experts. Um, just give me a little bit of background on how the show started, your attachment to his career, and, uh, you know, just various little bits like that. Yeah, so... Um... Adam and I used to do this thing where every Monday we would get together and we would watch a movie and it started as shark movies. So we called it shark movie Monday. And then we watched so many of Mark Polonia's shark movies that it changed to Mark movie Monday. And then we just kept going with his movies. And then uh, we decided to start recording on Mondays. We were like, Hey, we should, uh, we should make a Polonia podcast. Cause for some reason, nobody's done that yet, which is tragic. And uh, I, I do have to point out the pun on the name is absolutely spot on. I, I, kudos Thank to that. Because I mean, I, I, I'm a person, even though my title doesn't give it away, I am a person that I utterly love puns in podcast titles. So, uh, yeah, the, the one that you picked is uh, absolutely spot on and perfect. I, I'm a huge fan. and I, I caught on immediately as soon as I heard that. I was like, that is so on the nose. How did nobody pick that bef- pick that up? So... Yeah, we yeah. we agonized over a name. We had no idea what to call it for a while. Uh, wow, that's I'm kind of shocked because I mean that is just uh, that, like I said, the, the title is just spot on and perfect. So thank you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, I mean, like I said, uh, you guys would be a little bit more familiar with this. But um, uh, is there anything uh, that has stand out? I mean, aside from the cast, because I, I know that he's reused practically everybody in yeah. almost all of these movies. But is there anything like? Uh, particular that stood out to you over um this section of his career because uh i i should mention that uh this show will be looking at the work of his career post john's death um so we are going to be looking at the more recent section of his career from i i think it's 2011 or 2012 that he came back to filmmaking mm. uh i i i i i think it's somewhere running there but um I, I like i said that's the top the part of the career we're going to be looking at tonight but uh, from then till now, is there anything that you've noticed that would that like really stands out as uh, something to um, y- you know sort of guide new f- newcomers to his filmography to sort of like say okay this is going to be like the common themes that you're going to see in his work going forward? Yeah, I um I honestly the thing that really does it for me is that it's still a family affair. His son Anthony got into filmmaking and he was doing like um, special effects work for Mark's movies. And now he's like directing films with his dad and on his own. And I think that it's really nice that even after John passed, it's still like a family thing. Hmm. Yeah, because I, 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 I do, uh, I will say I do have one of their um, collaborations on my list, but. It, yeah, uh, I, I mean, I know that, you know, he and John worked uh, well together and they had, um, I, I, I don't know if the locations are the same because I've noticed a few of, um, I mean, the outhouse uh, at the, you know, behind the house is kind of a, 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 yeah. a common uh, setting. So I, I don't know if that's his house or if he's just one of those where he has access to it and he just, you know, uses it there. But yeah, the I, I, I will say that the, the the family connection has always been one that's run through his films, you know, working with John and now working with Anthony. So yeah, it is pretty cool to see that, you know, he does keep himself tied to his roots pretty, pretty much consistently throughout. Yeah. I think that's really nice. The, um, there's like a a greenish sort of greenish Brown. I don't know how to describe the color, uh, a house that is Mark's. And then there's like a shed and garage in the back that get used for a lot of things. Like in the camp blood movies, they say that it's the cabins for the camp. Yeah. And it's supposed to be like run down, even though it's like a really nice shed. And then they have, I don't know who it belongs to, but there's like a hunting cabin slash lake house. And that's got like the little at house area. And I, I don't know whose it is, maybe Mark's, but mm. that shows up a lot. Cool. All right. Well, um, I, I guess we'll uh, 
get into um, our list then. So um, do we have any preference for who goes first or if you want to start things out? All right. Well, I guess I'll, uh, I'll take the lead on this one. Yeah, I'm excited to hear yeah. your list. Yeah, so um, I, I, I will mention that uh, I, I kind of have unconventional taste, and I, I say this to listeners all the time. So I, I do have unconventional and kind of not necessarily contradictory, but uh, I, I do go against the grain a little. So I'm not entirely familiar where these stand in his uh, filmography amongst the fans, but um, I, at least in terms of me, this is where I, I kind of uh, stand with his stuff. So uh, my number 10, I have Ghost of Camp Blood. So uh, for me, what I, I really like about this one is I, I, I do like he attempts this sort of supernatural element with the series and the you you know the the, the he's probably attempted maybe this in, uh, format in a couple of other films but introducing it into the camp blood series which had always been you know the mask clown in the woods kind of a thing and this one is a it's a different spin on it and he adds the supernatural kind of not necessarily body hopping because it's only the the paranormal investigator that he sort of does this with but it, it has a supernatural element to the series and it kind of takes it away from the woods and it introduces like uh, settings at the university or he introduces settings, uh, you know, like around the town where it's uh, not necessarily out in the woods, but it's more like a suburban location. And it adds kind of a different feel to it. And I, I kind of enjoy it for that reason. Um, it, 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 there's a different um, flavor to what's going on. Kind of has a... Um, a little underwhelming finale. I, I'm not really a huge fan of it, so it kind of knocks it a little lower on my list. But mm-hmm. I, I still really enjoy it. It has a fun little energy to it. Um, there's some nice kills. There's a, a great um, stalking sequence through the campus that I really enjoy where I think Mark is involved is where he's like one of the custodians or one of the... He's the uh, the producer for... The producer of the show, so, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's the TV show producer, right? Yeah. I, I always get his cameos mixed up with each other. He's, he's like Hitchcock. He does so many, but yeah. Um, yeah, he does the, yeah, he's the uh, producer of the TV show. That's right. Yeah. So he has a fun little cameo there and yeah. Um, great little kills. Uh, not my favorite in the franchise, but uh, you know, we'll come to that later on. But uh, number 10 for me is ghost of camp blood. Nice. Uh, number 10 for me is ghost of camp blood. <laughs> All right, there we go. <laughs> okay, let's see. Number nine, what do you got? All right, number nine for me. Uh, this is one of my uh, personal favorites. Um, I, I'm like you, I'm a huge uh, shark movie guy, so might as well have one on my list. I have Sharkenstein. So, yeah, fun little time. Love the uh, backstory here. Um, has some great action sequences. Kind of hits a little bit above its weight. Uh, some of the effects really aren't um, up to par with some of the later um, entries that he does. So I'll mention that at that. But I, I, I like it. It's a really fun time. Perfect cheesy, you know, popcorn afternoon kind of a film. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, it's a fun time so a uh, great puppet i think that that one shows up in a couple of the other ones that he does because i yeah. i know that the uh the land shark puppet is uh i i think it's remodeled it doesn't have that uh, frankenstein stitch work on it mm. I, I i'm not sure I, I think it's either that one or maybe it's shark encounters of the clo- of the third kind i i, I know I've, I've seen that puppet used again but yeah either way uh number nine for me is Sharkenstein. It's a very good choice. Mine's a little higher up on the list, but my number nine is Jurassic Prey. Hmm. It's basically a remake of Saurians, and I I just think it's so fun. There's something really nice about the like the bank robber thing and just the way that they all interact with each other while they're like trapped in a little cabin and then they get eaten by uh by dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's an honorable mention for me. Um, I, I'm, I, I have fun with it as well. Um, I always have a, a fun time by that one by saying it's the film that I've seen the camera reflected in surfaces the most. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, that's always that's always a fun time. Uh, that always kind of uh, gives me a chuckle when I think about it. So yeah, it's a it's an honorable mention for me. But yeah, I, I, I like that one as well. So uh, moving on to number eight uh, for me, this is one of my favorite uh, indie slasher films. Uh, I'm a big fan of the style, and uh, might as well have Mark provide one of my favorites. Um, I have Camp Murder. Ooh. Yeah, um, I, I always love uh, Jeff Kirkendall when he uh, gets to show uh, the the more psychotic side of him because mm-hmm. he he's usually the kind of rest- and he just kind of plays like that weird neighbor or um or he always plays uh father benna the priest who kind of like runs through his uh his amityville films so i always like it yeah uh i mean uh, we'll talk about that later but um <laughs> i i love when he gets the chance to do the uh the, the psychotic route and uh he has a fun time here fun little uh series of stockings in the woods and uh fun kills so uh great cast love the atmosphere here and uh another one that's a really fun time so uh for me i have camp murder very nice my number eight is invasion of the empire of the apes Ooh. yeah there's there's four apes movies they're all fun but invasion is the one where you finally meet the davenoid aliens that they've been discussing through all the movies and I don't want to hype it up too much, but like they are possibly my favorite creature from any Polonia movie. And it's not because of the way they look, but it's the voice of them. They sound insane. (laughs) I can't do it. Adam does a great impression of them. (laughs) Oh, so good. Nice. All right. Well, um, we'll move on to number seven. Uh, Another one that, uh, like I said, uh, I'm a big, shark guy so might as well have the other one in here so i have land shark uh great puppet puppet effects love the storyline here uh some great action scenes and uh kind of actually shocking to see sarah french in here because i i didn't think that she would uh be involved in one of these films i always think of her as like a little higher up in the indie scene so having her on board is a fun time here uh great performance and uh, yeah, uh, another fun uh, cheesy shark movie. So uh, I'm always on board for those. Uh, number seven for me is Land Shark. Nice. Mine is Virus Shark. <laughs> Ooh, nice. <laughs> I, have, uh, I have quite a few shark movies on my list. It's uh, something I'm a pretty big fan of. Um, awesome. My brain stopped working for a second there. <laughs> um, I I don't know. It's just, I think it's just because it's like a smaller cast and it's in one location mostly that it's like really, really good. I guess most of his films are in pretty small locations, but I don't know. There's something more intimate about this movie. Nice. Um, that's another honorable mention for me. So yeah, I'm a big fan of that one as well. I, I, I'm not really a fan of them leaving because actually I like what you said about it being contained. I, I love it when they're on the the ship and they're having the, the, the race against time to get out before the thing explodes. Yeah. I think it adds a it adds a fun little sense of urgency that not a lot of his movies have. And yeah, uh, I, I really like it. I'm not, like I said, a fan of the, the ending, but yeah, I, I really like it. That's a fun one. So uh, number six for me, uh, this is actually the most recent one I watched and uh, probably maybe it's recency bias, but uh, I had fun with it. I have Sister Krampus. I also just watched that one recently. Yeah, nice. Uh, This was uh, one of the yeah, this was uh, the last of my watches that I did uh, prepare for this because there's a few that I hadn't seen. And just by stroke of luck, this was the last one I saw. And maybe, like I said, recency bias, but. I have fun with it. I, I love the sister dynamic between the two. Um, they seem like actual genuine, you know, family members. They snipe at each other, but it's not like mean spirited or anything. It's like a genuine sister connection. The Krampus folklore is integrated pretty well. I love the village that they have there. And yeah, it, it's a pretty fun time. Um, I wish we'd probably get a little bit more Krampus in there, but hopefully in the sequel. So. <laughs> Yeah, he seemed uh he seemed pretty nice actually when we got around to seeing him. 
Yeah, um, I mean, like I said, uh, uh, hopefully we get a little bit more of him in the, the sequel, but uh, number six for me is Sister Krampus. Nice. Mine is Camp Murder. Cool. I, I know he's got four Camp Blood movies, and I think they're all fun, but I there's something about him not being contained to a franchise where he just gets to make his own thing that I think is really nice. I also very much love Jeff as a villain and I don't, it's, I like anything that's a, a little bit of a Friday the 13th ripoff. Nice. All right. So uh, number five for me, um, I, as well, I'm a huge fan of Camp Blood. Like I said, uh, these are really fun times and I have Camp Blood 7, It Kills. Mm. Yeah, um, I, again, this was another recency bias because this was actually the last in the franchise that I needed because uh, the, the last ones that I uh, I should mention were uh, one that uh, will appear later on my list, uh, Camp Blood 7 and Sister Krampus. So I, um, I'll, I'll mention that uh, the other film later on in the evening. But uh, yeah, uh, Camp Blood 7, It Kills is uh, really fun. I, I love the setup here, the means of getting everybody out into the woods. Uh, it, you know, it's not necessarily the most original, but I, I like the way it works here with uh, the relation, the you know, the whole urban legend thing. All of the, uh, you know, all of that stuff is uh, handled pretty well. Uh, we get fun little cameos from all of his uh, regulars. Everybody kind of, you know, pops up and does their thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you had a fun little uh, stalker film where all of the, you know, the regulars get knocked off one by one. So... Yeah, um, fun little time and uh, probably my favorite of uh, Mark's entries in the franchise. But uh, I mean, you know, something to discuss later on. But uh, number five for me is Camplet Seven. Nice. My number five is Sharkenstein. I think it's super fun. I also am a big fan of the shark puppet. But in particular, there's a scene where he gets um, struck by lightning. And then morphs into sort of like a muscle shark and he's got like sick biceps. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just super fun. Also, there's uh, more James Carolus than normal, and I'm a big fan of him. Hmm. Cool. All right. Uh, we'll move on to number four. Uh, this is uh, the... Uh, probably my favorite of the Amityville ripoffs, and uh, I, I've seen more of these than I care to admit, but I, I really like the energy in this one. I, I think it's got a uh, fun little setup, and it's it, it works itself pretty well, and I, I really enjoy what it does. Um, I went with Amityville Exorcism. Ooh. So yeah, um, I, again, you know, we have uh, Jeff Kirkendall as uh, Father Benna. Um, great, uh, you know, setup with the daughter, the slow burn about her uh, slowly becoming possessed no, you know nothing original but uh, I, I like the way he pulls it off here the demon makeup is great the exorcism is you know appropriate and fun for this type of film and it, it's a it's a fun time I really found myself invested when I watched it so uh, number four for me is Amityville Exorcism that's another one where James Carolus is really great as the like alcoholic um, dad yeah, yeah, I really like it. He has almost like a redemption arc, but it's not like fully played out yet. Yeah, he, I know that they're trying to make him sort of a bad guy because he drinks so much or whatever, but yeah. he's got a rough time going on. And no matter how drunk he seems to be, he is extremely concerned about his daughter regardless. And I think that that's nice. That means that he's probably a pretty good dad. Yeah. Like I said, it, it flirts with the redemption angle. It doesn't go through, but it, he does seem to be on the mend and uh, probably probably would have if, uh, you know, more time was allotted to that storyline. But, yeah, it's a pretty pretty fun time. And, yeah, I'm a, I really like that one. So number four for me is Amityville Exorcism. My number four is Halloween Night. Nice. I, I am an absolute sucker for a Scarecrow movie. I really like um, Todd Carpenter. He's always fun when you see him in the background, like fishing or just wandering around. So getting to see him in a lead role is really nice. And it's just, I don't know, there's something about this man who just wants to fit in and have friends. And he gets like betrayed by people who are supposed to be like sort of friendly toward him. And then he gets his revenge with uh, a cool scarecrow. It's, it's nice. Cool. 
All right, yeah, um, we'll move on to number three. This is the other one that I mentioned that uh, was uh, the last of the films that I needed to um, prep with. Um, I went with Deadly Playthings. Yeah, I, I love killer doll movies. I'm a huge fan of what uh, I'm a huge fan of that genre. And this is a pretty enjoyable one. Uh, has a uh, few great puppet kills. Um, you get to see more than just one, which I'm always a fan of. I, I like one, but getting multiple is always uh, a little bit better. You're going to win me over a little bit easier by doing that. And, you know, again, the regulars all come in and they do their thing. Uh, great time with all of his, uh, you know, great time with the cast and great energy, too. So uh, number th um, three for me is Deadly Playthings. Uh, my number three is Land Shark. It's there's something <laughs> there's something about a movie where uh, a man gets his junk bit off by a shark that I can't say no to. So I rank it pretty high on my list. Nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, number two. I, I'm a big fan of um, mashups. Um, I, I love when you bring things together uh, that really shouldn't be there. And I, this is one of the, uh, the first of his films I saw. And um, it was one of the, the films that just won me over um, immediately as soon as I heard about it. Bigfoot versus Zombies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I love uh, Bigfoot films. I love zombie films. And you mash them together with Mark's touch, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, probably, you know, a little bit on the lower lower end of the scale for what people would consider for zombie carnage, but uh, it works for me. The Bigfoot design is fantastic. And, yeah, uh, you know, you get his regulars doing their thing. Uh, the facility, you know, that science compound facility that he uses in a couple of other films gets utilized to great effect. And, yeah, it's a generally fun time. Uh, number two for me is Bigfoot versus Zombies. My number two is Amityville in Space. I am a big Amityville fan in general. So not only taking the franchise to space, but the end of the Father Bena trilogy is just something that I really love. Um, the plot is extra insane, even for an Amityville movie, where they're in space and also in the future. And Christianity is something that they don't even remember, and Father Bena is just like, whatever, I have to do my job. And it's just, it's so fun. Yeah, another honorable mention. Um, I've only got one left, and uh, I'm hoping I can say it at the end. All <laughs> uh, right, so number one for me is uh, one that I, I really didn't think about um, being my favorite. It was actually, um, it, it took me a while to come to the conclusion here, because I, I really like Bigfoot versus Zombies, but there's just an energy to this one and there's, there's just this charm to it that um, I, I really don't know why, but I always yeah, find myself going back to this one. And uh, I went with Bride of the Werewolf mm. and yeah, like I said, I, I, I don't know why, but there's just this charm to it. And I, I mean, I, I love Mel. Uh, I am a huge fan of hers and um, all the work she usually does. Werewolf films are a lot of fun, and I'm usually a, a big fan of that kind of genre anyway. So, I mean, that could be a, a big thing. But, yeah, the, the, there's just this weird uh, charm to it that I, I don't know why. But Bride of the Werewolf is one that always works for me. And uh, I, I wouldn't say it's my favorite of his that I've seen overall, but it, it would probably be in my top three or four um, if I was to rank everything, um, including the John part of his catalog. So uh, for me, number one is Bride of the Werewolf. Mine is, um, it's actually about number eight or nine on my Polonium movie list, but it's my number one post-John. It is Sharkula. Nice. The idea of mixing a shark and Dracula was so fun for me. It's got this amazing theme song at the beginning of the film. Uh, Jeff plays an amazing Dracula. Renfield is great. The shark being tied to Dracula is so cool. It's just, it's all around a very fun movie. Cool. All right. Well, uh, before we go any further, um, I know you had your co-host give uh, his list. So yes. let's uh, run down what his choices were. 
Okay. His number 10 is Dune World. He says a standout performance from Jeff as a dream or person. Indeed. Uh, Number nine is Ghost of Camp Blood, because he says Steve really comes into his own here. Number eight is Hellgate House That Screamed 2, and it is for reasons I should probably not say on someone else's podcast. <laughs> I uh, know what he means, yeah. Yeah. Number seven is Amityville <laughs> Island, uh, specifically because of the red-eyed bear, although that movie just rips in general. Uh, number six is Shark Encounters of the Third Kind. He is very interested in watching a fourth kind. Uh, five is Sharkenstein. Four is Camp Murder. Three is Land Shark. Two is Jurassic Prey. And one is Sharkula. Nice. All right. Yeah, that's a pretty solid list. I really like it. <laughs> yeah, you guys have great tastes. Um, kind of matched up more than I thought we would. But uh, um, yeah, uh, the only other one that I have left as an honorable mention, because everything else was already mentioned, is uh, Children of Camp Blood. Um, yeah, really fun time. Wish that one was longer, because I think that's the one that's barely an hour, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would, I'd love to see that one just get a little bit more time and maybe hit that hour and 10 that he usually hits. Because when he hits like the hour 10, hour 15 mark, his stuff is great. So, yeah, the only other one that I have is uh, Children of Camp Blood. We're doing that one on Monday. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, any other uh, honorable mentions that uh, you have uh, worth repeating or shouting out? Nope. Uh, most of my favorites are earlier films. All right. Well, yeah, this was a lot of fun and uh, I'm really glad we got to uh, do this. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let everybody know where they, uh, they can find you and uh, your work online. Okay. Uh, you can find Adam and I and our podcast at Podlonia on Twitter. Or just me at Deputy Winston. I think Adam's stuff is still currently private. And um, I guess that's really it. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Um, I will have uh, links to their show in the show notes down below for you to uh, check out and uh, have everything there listed as well. So, yeah, um, I mean, like I said, as soon as we, uh, we can get together and do a uh, full career retrospective, I think that, uh, it'll be a lot of fun. So, yeah, I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you again for coming on. And until Thanks next time, me. yeah, until next time, we will see you with a new topic. So, take care. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, as you just heard, that was um, the regularly scheduled episode, which was the top 10 uh, Mark Polonia films post uh, John. And uh, I'm uh, pleased to present a, a special bonus for you all, which is an uh, interview I conducted with uh, director Christine Chen for uh, her film Ursley, which uh, you will be able to uh, hear right now. Well, uh, thank you all for joining me here for a uh, brand new interview on the show. Uh, today, I'm joined by the director of the film, Ursley. Uh, please welcome Christine Chen. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Well, again, thank you for uh, coming on board and doing this. So uh, I guess we might as well start with uh, the obvious, uh, the, uh, you know, what's the film about? And, uh, you know, what can you tell us about uh, the inspiration behind the film? Sure. Uh, so the film is kind of my ode to 90s creature features. Uh, I love films, especially by Steven Spielberg, uh, like The Craft, things like that. And I have a love for mermaids. Uh, when I grew up, I had a bedroom full of The Little Mermaid paraphernalia. So it was all of those combined into a more adult version of wishing there was content now that fit more of where I am in life. So jaded and <laughs> uh, it's just more, some more uh, socially relevant topics and, and whatnot. And uh, so it's about four women, uh, ages uh, late twenties to late thirties, uh, basically who are meeting up at a camp that they'd once met at before. 
and uh, one of the leaders of the group goes to try to conjure up a goddess that she knows lives in this area called Ursley. And uh, she's down in her luck. And it's one of those, be careful what you wish for, uh, you know, a goddess. And shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, what about the uh, casting crew? How did uh, you get them together? Like, what were you looking for, for um, like specific roles and like how the generally uh, getting the uh, group of girls together? Yeah, so I think one of the biggest things I've been trying to do as a filmmaker is to build characters that uh, are a good representation of what our world looks like because mainstream media, is, it's it's getting there, but it still skews a certain demographic. And so I knew I wanted strong female uh, nuanced leads. Uh, that means from all sorts of backgrounds, uh, all shapes and sizes and everything. And uh, I had worked with a lot, most of the actresses on this on the set, actually. Um, the girl that plays Ari, Diana Rose, she's been in a few of my short films. Uh, Elizabeth True, uh, they are, who plays Violet, the uh, Asian protagonist, she's been in several of my short films as well. Uh, our lead, uh, Courtney Olivier. I actually had not worked with her from an acting standpoint as a director to actor. Uh, when I'm not directing, I'm what we call a first assistant director. Uh, often, that's my bread and butter. And I worked with her on that capacity, wall cards. I actually had met Faye at a um, like industry party uh, a while ago. She's been if she's no recognizable in uh link later's boyhood uh she also plays um julia roberts daughter in i think it's called Entus Ojos. uh i can't remember what name but uh they're they were both uh wild cards wild cards because uh faye was actually originally going to be played by somebody else and then about literally a week and a half before productions um, contracts and timing didn't work out and we had to recast at the very last moment and uh, both Diana and Elizabeth were like why don't you consider this person Zoe Graham and I was like well will she want to be in this film you know and, and luckily she did luckily and then uh, Leila Anastasia Scott who plays the awesome Ursley uh, her I did not know where we would find the kind of mermaid that we, uh, Camille, my co-writer and I were envisioning at all. Uh, we just knew that staying true to the Haitian folklore was really important to us. Uh, so we know, knew we wanted a, a woman of color, uh, but no clue. It just We just sent it off into the ether and just hoped that somebody's audition would, would wow us. And luckily, uh, I remember I was in the middle of production on a different set as an AD, um, Layla's audition came and I was completely blown away. Um, I think it was, we were in between different locations, switching different locations. I was uh, stopping at a gas station to use the restroom and I was like, oh my God. And then forward it to um, the current producers at that time, uh, Peyton uh, Brewer and then uh, Candace Barley and then my writer Camille and all three ladies were like holy shit who is that please let's hope she can act or swim or anything you know type thing and and uh, she's she blew us all out of the, the water literally so <laughs> all right so um, you've got everything together you're on set ready to work um, how does having the low budget work with the practical effects I mean, I can't imagine that that's... Dude, it was hard. <laughs> <laughs> Everything about this set was hard. <laughs> I, I, I can't imagine that must have been a, an easy time. Like, how much did having to work on set translate to, like, your envision? Like, working from what you wanted to what you were forced to do with on location? Yeah, uh, I would say we had probably half the time that I would, would have wanted. So I we shot in 11 days and that was out of necessity because of how low budget it was. Uh, I would have 
loved at least a minimum of 15 days that would have we had to cut so many shots that i wanted a lot of those shots that were that suffered were, were the the scene the shots that had movement um on time and a lot of team and personnel to to make work and all that just was not possible in the environment they were in i mean we were deep in the woods in a swamp uh, i had animal control well like uh, basically he was a retired fbi swat person um who would make sure there weren't alligators and snakes in the swamp and then i had a water safety stunts person who made sure that my actresses were not like being swept off into the river so so that was hard um and then on top of that because we were on a limited budget anything that had to do with practical we had a limited amount of takes to do so we had to really think about what we could do that could be enhanced later with visual effects so that helped us visual effects definitely helped us out a lot um the tail was all practical and everything but like ursley herself was in five hours of makeup to get all of her stuff on because she had a full my makeup artist uh head department has coincidentally my my current roommate but she would go on about it but her she had a whole full-on chest piece that they had to like painstakingly glue on and paint and i i don't have much experience with practical effects so seeing how it's done is ridiculous like the, it doesn't just come green and beautiful and so like it it's flesh colored and then an artist needs to go in there and hand paint everything so that it matches the skin and blends in perfectly and everything. So that's just, that's just the chest piece. And then her face has a bunch of different prosthetics from cheekbones to ears. To, and the hard part is a lot of prosthetics are not made to be reusable. They're one-time use only. So we had to calculate exactly how many times we would fully see the mermaid because of how expensive each individual piece of prosthetic cost. Uh, and we narrowed it down to the bare minimum of four copies for each part, basically. That was all we could afford. Um, and I had to schedule it, schedule it and write it in a way that you would be convinced that Oh, the mermaid was going through different changes. That's why in this version, you don't see the cheekbones or in this version, you don't see the chest piece, yada, yada, yada. Because reality was we just didn't have the money to be able to do it in the way that, you know, a multi-million dollar Marvel film could do it. We didn't have the visual effects skills, The again, you know, when you watch a Marvel film, you see the visual effects team. It's like two page, two giant, three pages of it, you know, and we had a visual effects team of like three people, you know, three, yeah, four, maybe, you know, and it was like pe friends that I worked with throughout the industry that I've pulled favors from. So it was definitely a feat with the intention that I am writing a sequel to it. And that sequel is polar opposite of what I've written for the, for the sequel for this first one that one is like can't be done without you know 10 to 15 million dollars you know has mermaid clans and they're all going to be crazy effects and stuff like that and luckily I'm, I've built a nice following of uh, mermaids like actual genuine lifestyle mermaids that I hope to put into the next one when I get the money too so <laughs> all right so um i mean I, that was kind of almost where i was leading with the next one like the uh, the evolution of the film from your envisionment to like the onset practicality was like outside of the mermaid was there any other um facet of the film that was uh, dictated by the working with the budget and onset and anything like that uh yeah weather was weather and nature really determined stuff uh, to tell you, to give you context, when I wrote the script, um, 
I had been to this location the previous year uh, because I had done three other features at this location back to back to back um, as an assistant director. And, and it's a it's a beautiful like camping type ground, right? And when I wrote it, there was a river and a beach, like a distinct large beach. You kind of do see it. You see it in the opening scene with um, the, the, the teenagers. That's what the beach looks like. Now, I would say 40% is written on that beach. The problem is 70% of the time that beach was underwater. Uh, so the good thing was we were able to cheat several things in the same spot because it changed so drastically that you couldn't tell that it was the same location because the beach was under the water. So uh, we, a lot of that was on the fly. Uh, it would be my first AD and I would wake up in the morning, we would take a walk to the beach and look at it and see how much sand was above water. And then we would think, can we shoot the finale? No, we can't. And we keep pushing it, basically. Our finale was actually supposed to happen, um, basically that climax, the big ass fight and stuff, uh, was supposed to take place week one, because the thought process from my standpoint was, okay, we are fresh and excited and not exhausted. So doing it the first week will be, you know, clear, we're, we'll be as clear-minded as possible. Well, the finale got pushed to the last day of the set, basically, the very last day. And this was us every single day looking at the river and hoping that there would be enough sand uh, <laughs> to do the, to the scene. And it got pushed to the last day because 70% of the time the river was flooded. So, uh, or raining or something. And it was, weather was not nice to us at all. It doesn't look that way in the film, but it, it was that way in reality. So, yeah. So that dictated a lot. And that dictated script changes too, because of that. Um, there are scenes in there where uh, certain, in the finale, certain actors actually never got to interact with each other because due to schedule changes certain actors were available by the time we were going to shoot the finale so we had to cheat the fi the finale is actually two shot on two separate days you can't tell hopefully at least hmm. uh, uh, i mean uh, speaking right now that's kind of news to me i didn't i mean just as a viewer yeah that's kind of, that kind of is news to me i didn't suspect that at all yes good good movie matching <laughs> <laughs> two separate days on two separate weeks. That's how spread out it was. And um, there are certain characters in there that actually never met or like never got to act against the other actors in the finale. And now you can maybe guess what it is, but I'm not sure. But it's just, it literally is because of timing and availability, the level of what the swamps situation was the water safety water levels because because then you you're not only getting into um consistency of having a place to do the stunts it's a safety issue so uh the the water levels were so high that the water was going very fast and you can't really do a bunch of stunts in the water with a mermaid who's in a tail that can't move you know while the, the water is rushing so there's there was, man, that was, so lesson learned, don't write a script that takes place seven, six, you know, 40 to 50% in the water when you know that nature is unpredictable. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, it will kind of lead into uh, my next one. Um, like beyond these experiences, like what have you taken from the shoot that you've, you can sort of apply to your future projects, like what sort of style or like approach or like anything that you've taken from this that you're going to say, okay, I can use this going forward. Um, I mean, I feel like I was very prepared for this. Um, I'd been, I've been aiding, uh, if you, if people on the podcast don't know what AD is, it's basically the person that's in charge of the crew and I run the set and I schedule the film. So I've done this for many people's projects. And so I've learned from other people's projects, what not, what not to do. 
And so because of that, I think I came in fully prepared. Um, I think if with what I, I think about it a lot with what we went through and all the things that were not able to be controlled that were thrown our way, honestly, we I don't know how we got it done, but we did. And uh, and I think a lot of it is because I had a stellar crew, um, stellar crew, stellar cast. And these are crew members that I picked, handpicked from my years as an AD and producer, um, very specifically. And I think about it often because when I'm on other people's projects, I am just amazed by the amount of stuff that we were able to accomplish that probably would not have been able to be accomplished by any other team, basically. So... I think if anything is just continue to uh, stay true to it's it all it is all about the team. And I think I've seen I've seen a lot of uh, I've been on the other side a lot where the person who puts together the team uh, it's very disconnected from the person who's directing, and I think. Because I'm so, I work so closely with crew. Um, I think I'll always be, I'll always want to have input on who my crew is, if that makes any sense. But in most films, it's not that way. Usually, what happens is the director has, the director has never done a crew position ever, and doesn't know how movies are made almost, but has a vision and knows how to direct the actors, and that's it. And then the producer um is the person who has the connections to all the crew and they go and hire all the people and then there's not an emotional connection between um the the crew and the director at all in this case like i have an emotional connection to each and every one of my crew members and cast members on the set it was extremely personal and that's why i think they were they went to you know they went to hell and back for me type thing um, and I, and I like that. I, I, it's something that independent films do best, best, uh, because they aren't beholden to hundred plus teams. You know, it was, we had a 30 plus crew, 30, and that was, well, it was still a lot. Um, but I knew everyone personally and I, and I, and I like that. Um, there is. I mean, there's luxuries, of course, to having a larger team, for sure. There's just more things you can do and stuff. And I guess as I move up into bigger budgets and stuff, you know, I see the value in that. But I, I think I'll just, I always will want to have some say in the people who are crewing up for me. Um, I think that's something I've learned. It's just like, man, the people on the set really made it happen. And it'd be great if I could build in more time. Like, you know, if I had, if I could have squeezed in like even just one more extra day, it would have just, it would have made the experience more enjoyable. Relaxing is a terrible term, not relaxing, but it would have been like, I would have time to breathe, you know? It would have, I would have been able to like have time to like work things out creatively or try different things creatively. But no, this was like a freaking machine. Basically, we had we had a week of on-site prep, which I basically rehearsed. One, okay, let's figure out how you feel and how you're gonna move, and let's try different things. And you take an hour to do that, and then finally you shoot. No, they went in already knew what they were doing, and it was like two takes max, pretty much two takes max, one take max, three. And luckily I had pros actor-wise that were that good, you know, um, but that's that's still hard. Sometimes you want the time to like discuss things and, and say like, hey, this feels weird. Let's try something different or, or, or like, hey, what I would love to have been able to, you know, with my director of photography, uh, be like, hey, let's try some weird, crazy shots, you know, type stuff. But there's, there was just no room for any of that at all. We barely made it. <laughs> yeah, that was hard. But uh, we'll see.
the good thing is review wise, one of the common things that I saw in the reviews were, holy shit, if she can do this with this amount of money, I can't wait to see what she can do with actual money. So that I feel proud that I was able to accomplish because I don't, I, when I tell people that this thing was done and with 200 and pretty with posts and everything ended up being 240 grand people are like pretty surprised about that so nice yeah that's that's much lower than what i thought so yeah that's pretty cool all right so uh if we've uh, convinced you to give the film a shot where can uh, we find it yeah um so right now it's on uh video on demand uh so you can find it on your Amazons, your iTunes, your Apple TV, Vudu. I heard a rumor it's also on Tubi as well. So if that's a platform that you have. So really, anything that's a transactional video on demand, which means that you don't have a subscription, so it's not going to be on Netflix or Hulu um, yet. It's more like you rent or it's it's each time individually you go and get that's what they mean by transactional VOD type thing um eventually hopefully it'll be on the subscription platforms but like um distribution is a whole nother ball game that I'm trying to understand yeah it's so it's only currently available unfortunately in the United States uh as well so we haven't uh gone done our global distribution yet and uh, if you happen to be in like Austin or whatever, I know we are still putting on special events and stuff. I think we have one coming up uh, May 28th. Uh, it will be at in Austin uh, at a bookstore called the Borough Bookstore. So we just like this film is just it's supposed to be like a if you have a pool, like you put up a you know, one of those projectors and you watch it that way or like a outdoor picnic type thing or um, yeah, in a, in a museum or a bookstore, it's supposed to be a quirky feel. It's, it, the biggest takeaway is I want people to feel like, oh, this is like a 90s sleepover, but for it's going to get, you know, Oscars or that kind of, it's, it's a like, let's have some drinks, let's get high, you know, <laughs> and it's just watch it and laugh and, and, uh, have a party while things are happening type film. So, yeah. All right. Well, uh, yeah, I guess that will, uh, conclude everything. So, uh, before we go, uh, do you have any, uh, places online to check you out and, uh, have a chance to follow you in your work? Sure. Um, for if you're looking for for the film specifically, you can go to Ursley, E R Z U L I E film.com. Uh, for me, my Instagram is CCHEN MTF because it's uh, acronym for Moth to Flame, my production company. It's an MTF. Uh, but if you if you go to Ursley Film on Instagram as well, it has you can probably through that find me as well. So yeah. But I'm all over the socials because that's another thing. When you're an independent filmmaker, film director, you kind of have to wear all the hats. <laughs> so, including marketing. So. All right. Well, thank you again for your time. Best of luck with uh, your future endeavors. And uh, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Dawn. I appreciate it as well. Absolutely. Take care and talk to you again. Peace.